This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Everybody, welcome to the Rapcast, whatever, you know, YouTube, podcast channel, whatever it is. I'm Samson Folk, and this is another episode of Outside Looking In, where I talk to somebody who covers a, another team in another market, be it, you know, analyst, journalist, fan. They just got to know about the team. And I asked them, hey, what do you think about the Raptors? So that you, the Raptors fans, we can kind of gather consensus from every market in the league. But then you also get to learn about the team in their market. In this case the Portland Trailblazers. And to talk about it with me is Eric Brandt of Blazers Uprise. And I just want to say, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Just had uh, some bombshell news of the Donovan Mitchell trade breaking a few minutes ago. So that's kind of shook up the whole NBA at the moment. Do you have uh, like flashbulb thoughts on it? Uh, I really like the move for the Cavs, um, not giving up uh, Garland, obviously Mobley or Jared Allen. Um, I felt like when I saw the trade, as long as they didn't give up any of those three and added Mitchell to that core, that it was going to be a good trade for them. And uh, I I kind of like that they're going for it without giving up that core. So, yeah, really interesting move. And that should make them a very fun team to watch uh, all season long. Yeah, that's from my point of view, the the Raptors point of view, right, is that, well, Okay, wow, the middle of the Eastern Conference right. maybe is a little bit thinner, but the top end just got a lot thicker, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Raptors' first matchup. When I was thinking about it prior to the season, I thought, oh, yeah, it'll be really interesting because Scotty and, and Evan Mobley had some pretty interesting matchups as far as it goes. And the, the Raptors and Cavs both play, as far as relative to how the NBA plays, they play on the extremes. They're in the mm-hmm. polars as far as how, what type of style they play. And they kind of went in opposite directions, honestly. And so to see those teams kind of battle it out, the Raptors had a better year uh, via standings last year. You know, they had a better postseason, obviously. But the thing that's really interesting is now Donovan Mitchell joins the fold and yeah. they're playing them game one. Oh, nice. I, I really, that game is going to be an awesome game to watch, obviously. But uh, yeah, I'll leave most of the other analysis of well, the. Go ahead. Real quick, I just want to ask: did, Is Mitchell someone that you wanted the Raptors to pursue? You heard rumors that they might be interested in him. I I definitely wasn't opposed to Mitchell the way that you know some people really worry about the defense and mm-hmm. and some people um, were big fans of the on off splits like Rudy Gobert played with Conley against a lot of benches and that made the like the the plus minus and the on off stuff look kind of funky for Donovan. Right. And so but some people leaned into that. That changed in the playoffs. Donovan became the biggest guy correlated with winning minutes in the playoffs and 
I'm a big, I think Donovan is a tremendous offensive player. And I think that he's better defensively than what he's currently been giving. And so effort has to come around, of course, but uh, I think he's a phenomenal player. And the fact that the, man, the Cavs, for what they traded for him, I think that that's a great deal. And if the Raptors could have, I guess, chopped up like a similar package, I I would have probably co-signed something like that too. But yeah, uh, very, very intriguing. The the first thing I want to ask you, though, is, of course, what you, the Raptors, you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're doing the Blazers thing. And the Raptors exist in the Eastern Conference. And you're obviously aware of them as like, oh, this is a team that's doing something funky. And I think that's a lot of people's idea of them. But are you any more familiar with what's going on there? Uh, Well, it seems like they're trying to corner the market on 6'7 to 6'9 athletic rangy forwards, right? Yeah. (laughs) And you're you're basically saying the whole positionless basketball, you're trying to go in that route. Um, having players that can guard multiple positions, having players that can handle uh, running the offense from multiple positions. And I really like that approach. Um, where it gets into trouble, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this, is when you play the one team like you did in the playoffs last year with the Joel Embiid, and I hate to make it this simplistic, but when you have a bunch of guys who can't necessarily guard him, not that many centers can even guard him, do you keep with the philosophy and just hope that that doesn't come back to haunt you with that one player? Or do you uh, think you need to adjust it slightly to compensate just in case you have to play that one player? That's, that's interesting because as, as you state, like the Raptors start behind the eight ball when they're guarding Embiid. Because they tilt their defense, they start shading heavily, and the makeup of the 76ers is really important on the court to how they do that. When Tybo was on the court, it becomes a lot easier to just crowd right. Embiid. When Danny Green was on the court, uh, it, it was tougher. But one of the big things was that the Embiid and Harden pick and roll that just obliterated the league once they were teammates, that was something that the Raptors with certain two-man configurations did well in. But one of the biggest things that went maybe under-discussed wasn't that, of course, Embiid was going to run roughshod. Mm-hmm. Like, of course. He he, yeah. he was a 30-point-per-game scorer from the center <laughs> position, hit yeah. a game-winning three-pointer where he's fading on the catch. Like, he's an incredible talent. But James Harden, albeit limited, still was able to completely outfox and dust Gary Trent Jr. at the point of attack. And he struggled with guys like Scotty Barnes and Pascal and OG because of the length out on switches. And so the Raptors were able to switch a lot of the time. But then the 76ers said, we want Gary in that in that screening action so that everything gets a little bit more hairy. And so it's that five guys on a string ethic that Maybe Gary comes back better next year as a point of attack defender. Maybe his screen navigation improves, that kind of stuff. But uh, the Raptors have been inventive in stopping bigs for sure. I actually think they were better at stopping bigs than most people think. Yeah, the problem, <laughs> The problem was that they stopped the big by overwhelming them. And then the ball went out to like an explosive guard or something who was mm-hmm. punching gaps. And there happens to be a lot of gaps when you're in rotation right. all the time. So it, it, I hope that that is a that's Sates. That's a good answer, right. I hope. 
Yeah. So you want to continue with that philosophy, or would you rather? The roster, like the a, roster a of, set. You right, know. Yeah. A lot of times, people will say like, "Well, maybe you just let Embiid get his, and then just worry about stopping the other four, and maybe you beat him that way." I don't know. Embiid can tire out a little bit too if you if you let him work up that hard on offense. The uh, the Embiid get his thing gets a little bit troublesome, probably with foul trouble. Two mm-hmm. guys that you need offensively because Precious is going to foul out if you just let <laughs> right. it. And then it's like, well, do you want Kim Birch on the floor? Even if it's just giving fouls, what does that do to the offense? What does? And then you're like, okay, you, no. You Kim started Birch. Birch in the playoffs, right? Uh, after in a, in a, a couple, couple of games, games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, do we want Birch on the floor? If not, who's guarding Embiid? Pascal? Do we want Pascal racking up fouls? Because like Embiid will go to the line 38 times if mm-hmm. if you put him in single coverage on yeah. a smaller guy. So yeah, for sure. the answers are not easy in those situations, even for teams with good big defenders. But mm-hmm. um, I think that the Raptors, this scheme makes sense with their personnel. Now, is hunting this personnel complete the the best way to go forward and then to run the scheme i'm not super sure about that but this year just like last year will be for people basketball nerds to mm-hmm. harvest the data right. of what's going on in toronto i think yeah yeah because you hear anytime trade talks come up or there's a center that's available it's always well toronto desperately needs a center yeah. right so i've always pushed back on that because like you said precious um especially towards the end of the year, started playing really well and looks like he could fill that role, even though he's a little small for a center. I I think in that type of defense, it's fine. Um, Same with Boucher over the last few years. Um, And then you add a Christian Coloco, who's actually a legit center size and maybe who knows rookie year, but um, he's someone that I uh, valued very high in the draft. I thought he was being slept on if I had to pick the perfect landing spot for him, it would have been the Toronto Raptors because I feel like his skill set and with Nick Nurse's coaching ability and stuff like that and their need for kind of that just slightly bigger but still athletic and can do some things with the ball and stuff. Um, so I, I feel like you have a good mixture of players that can play center, and I don't think it's a huge need. I actually think that um, your, your guard depth is is a much worse problem than than the center position and no one ever really seems to talk about it <laughs> this is insightful man you're you're picking up on some things that some fans don't even pick up on of, of the team agreed um i'm not well enough equipped with coloco film to be mm-hmm. like all in or anything right. I, I watched some stuff i talked i did a podcast with um a scout named zach milner who saw every coloco game in right. arizona <laughs> yeah. it was it was you know illuminating to talk to him but i i certainly can't lean in i'm not a huge draft mm-hmm. guy so if you could tell me what makes you like coloco and let's let's follow that thread a little bit because it's not often that you get like somebody who's like hey by the way <laughs> i was a coloco guy so i'd yeah. like to yeah well well first he's He's fairly athletic for his size, um, finishes well around the hoop. Uh, he has some passing skills. Uh, they played him uh, several times with another big, and they had a really good rapport, so I think he'll fit in well, well with all the passing forwards on the Raptors. Uh, his free throw percentage increased um, every year to a really respectable rate this year, 
uh, which shows that maybe he has the work ethic and the ability to possibly expand his jumper out. Then you hear rumors that in workouts and at the combine and stuff, he was knocking down threes at a really good rate. Um, so maybe there's some hidden potential there, both with playmaking and with um, shooting. And then you combine that with just obviously good defensive instincts, uh, block shots well, times times his blocks well. Uh, yeah, is, is always in front of his man. They actually, uh, it's kind of ties into the Blazers. We had uh, a, what I believe is a second round draft pick steal in Jabari Walker. Um, and there was a game where Jabari Walker was just torching them. And they actually moved Coloco from the center position onto him, guarding him on the perimeter. So I think he fits in with like the Nick Nurse scheme of having players that can do multiple things on defense. So he can both guard the rim and possibly have, I, I hate to compare everyone who does this to a Bam Adebayo, but like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing where you feel fine if he has to switch on to a smaller player on the perimeter, it's not ideal, but you can get away with doing it. And uh, those kind of players um, can definitely find a place in Nick Nurse's system. The There's like the guys who can step out with 18, 15 seconds on the shot clock. Mm-hmm. Those are rare. Yes. But there's, rare. there's a, there's a slightly larger pool of guys who, you know, seven, six seconds on the shot clock, like step out, see how it mm-hmm. works because you can rotate over to help. They just have to, you got to stick them for a little bit, you know? Um, it's so we're talking about the draft. The Raptors and the Blazers were intertwined pre-draft because of rumors. Nothing, yes. <laughs> corro- nothing corroborated by action. Um, mm-hmm. This this is all just reporting. OG Ananobi, uh, w- the rumored package was like Josh Hart and number seven, I believe. Raptors fans were uh, every team hates everything, right? <laughs> you know, like Raptors fans were like that's not enough. Even even I looked at that when the reporting came out, and I was like, hmm, I think I'd like a little bit more for OG. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. But what were your thoughts on? From the Blazers' point of view, OG being rumored to join Damian Lillard and the the hopeful renaissance era of Dame returning and things going well. Well, I heard the final uh, like ultimatum from the Raptors or whatever you want to call it was one of Nasir Little or Josh Hart, number seven, and a future first. And I, as much as I like OG, I think he would be the perfect small forward next to like a smallish backcourt as you probably know as a Raptors fan. Uh, But I just think it's too much to give up for a player like OG. Whereas I'm, I lean pretty heavy into the draft. So I'm probably like a little biased, but just the chances of a top 10 pick and the whole tanking of the season to it's like a lottery ticket. So like sitting here right now with Shaden Sharp and hoping that he's going to be like the best player in the draft or, you know, if in a redraft from 10 years, he could be, you know, a top five pick or whatever. Giving that up for it's, it's hard because I I don't consider OG just like a role player. He's like an Mm -hmm. elite role player. If that um, borderline, you know, could be better than that. Um, and obviously defense is something that Portland really needed. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's tough because if you just talk about giving up that seventh pick for him, I think I would have been fine with it. I understand like from your point of view that that's probably not enough either, 
Uh, but yeah, when it came to giving up other players and potentially another pick and stuff, I was just like, eh, it's probably a little too much. And as much as I like OG and, and think he'd be a perfect fit, I kind of would just like to run with the young guys and hope that one of them develops to be better than him someday. It's fun. Like OG still is young enough that people like myself look at some of the peripheral statistics and mm -hmm. look at some of the, because sometimes OG just pops like you'll get this yep. insane self-creation um bit of film out of him so you still get to like just hope on that home run but there's something about being a fan or somebody who follows a team it's like you get a lottery pick raptors fans will know well enough with scotty is you get to do the like is it a home run right and, yep. you know you get to track progression and stuff like that especially someone like you who follows the draft intimately is like oh yeah i like a lot of guys here you know this could go really well mm -hmm. um i guess Shane Sharp is Canadian, so there's probably okay. some yeah. some intrigue. He actually, by the way, there's a video of Shane Sharp speaks with like the exact same cadence as Kyle Lowry, like side by side. Oh, really? It's it's freaky. Just hmm. just as an aside, but since we didn't talk that much Shane Sharp on this channel or whatever, I feel like we could take this opportunity. What do you think about Shane Sharp? Because Raptors fans, a lot of them are Canadian, so they're interested in a Canadian prospect. What are your thoughts on Shane? I'm really excited to see what he becomes. Uh, that It's kind of weird because that tone in his voice, pre-draft, I was like, oh, man, is this guy like, is it because he doesn't know or is he just shy? Like, because yeah, he yeah. asked questions at workouts and stuff and he wouldn't give the most thoughtful answers. And I was like, man, does this guy not know basketball or is he just like completely shutting down an interview process? And I felt like his agent didn't do the greatest job of helping him out in those situations or preparing him for those interviews. Because uh, you saw several prospects um, like uh, Benedict Matherin, who, if I'm not mistaken, is also from Canada. Yep. Is he not? Um, yep. Uh, the so Toronto like, prospect and the Montreal one. <laughs> yeah. So like with Matherin, there were times where he didn't even do interviews after workouts. So like his agent kind of shielded him from getting any of that criticism. Uh, so, but that aside, once we drafted him and once everyone said how much they fell in love with him, how hard of a worker he was, uh, you get really excited at the prospects of him considering he was the, uh, rose up to be the number one prospect, um, in his dra draft class prior to the college season. And then of course he doesn't play. Um, there's some questions about his eligibility at first. And then also, we finally get to watch him play. He plays six minutes and then hurts his shoulder in summer league. And it was just such a bummer because everyone was looking forward to, I'm sure like it wasn't just Portland fans. Like people wanted to actually see him play in a live game since he didn't at Kentucky. And uh, yeah, so he goes down and now he's rehabbing all summer. Um, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how quickly they're looking to get him involved. If it was up to me, I would prefer him to get some minutes or to be forced some minutes just because if he sits out most of this year or doesn't play much other than garbage time, that's two full seasons before uh, and since he's actually played in meaningful high school games. So um, I'd like him to get some game action and be kind of thrown into the fire and just see what you got in him. But um, at the same time, this team is very loaded at the positions he plays and have a lot of players um, kind of the opposite of the Raptors roster. We're loaded at guard, you're <laughs> loaded at forward. Um, so I don't know how much time he's going to actually get this season, but I'm really excited to see what he could become.
Okay, so the Blazers, we have Jeremy Grant. We have mm-hmm. Ann Simons. Josh Hart, I think, is always talked about as being underrated, but doesn't <laughs> ever get into the overrated. <laughs> Properly he's, rated, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's good, man. Yeah. Like he he's that's a guy who I'm like, he's gonna end up on a team and win a chip someday just because mm-hmm. he's so he plays such good basketball. Dame. So what are your expectations for this Blazer season? Do you think that they're going to coalesce, that things are going to shake out, they're going to find an identity and run with it? Or are you expecting like a island of misfit toys kind of, uh, I guess, expenditure? I don't, I wouldn't put it that way. I'd, I'd say I expect them to actually be a good cohesive unit and for the pieces to work. But at the same time, I always also think that about multiple other teams in the West as well. So even if they do put it all together, best case scenario, I think they're looking at like fourth or fifth seed. Um, And that's if everything breaks right and they maybe get some injury luck with other teams while staying relatively healthy themselves. Um, And then I think the West is 10 teams deep. Um, Obviously, Utah's out from the playoffs last year. But other than that, uh, you pretty much have 10 teams that are going to be vying for those eight spots. Um, obviously, all 10 will make a play-in game. But, uh, yeah, so I could see them finishing anywhere from 4th to 10th, even if they're better than last year. Um, obviously, they're going to be better because they tanked last season. But, um, like, even if they're better than than people are giving them credit for, mm-hmm. it's still going to be tough given how many loaded teams there are. And you can make a case for it's like six or seven teams being like a top three seed. So it's going to be so hard to get up into that range. Um, So I think it'll be a successful season if they get into the playoffs without having to play in the play in, and then maybe um, at least win a first round matchup or something like that. Uh, The Jeremy Grant move was definitely, uh, he's someone that I was kind of iffy about whether I wanted them to uh, go after him because I thought the price tag was going to be a lot higher for him when they ended up getting him for basically just a Milwaukee first and some seconds, I thought that ended up being a really good move for the Blazers um, kind of solidify that forward position that we haven't really had since LaMarcus Aldridge left. And uh, yeah, so I'm kind of excited to have a defensive oriented team, guys like Gary Payton and Josh Hart, like you mentioned um, their whole mindset is defense first and we haven't had those kind of players in Portland in a long time. So I'm really excited to see how those mesh with a couple of guys like Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard, who are obviously very much offensive players. That's that's what I'm really interested in is, like, you know, what 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 identity do they craft? And for the longest time, it was your identity is that Dame is an insane supernova that can drive an offense to the finish line of a game game in and game out and before the everything happened last season that that was his whole bag was just this incredible aura offensively and now he has to return to form i don't think people should be like dame's gonna be great obviously Mm -hmm. but he has to return to form a revenge tour (laughs) yeah yeah something like that would that would fit his like his play style his personality a lot Mm -hmm. but i'm very excited to see what it looks like um just kind of peering across i i saw like i think 11 blazers games last year and and one of them was that hellish 
Raptors game where they were pressing the whole set, like doing full court press the whole second half and, yeah. and still lost. And, you know, Yusuf Nurkic was just playing great against them, which man, it's, they're going to look completely different. I'm really excited to see how that, how that shakes out as far as leaning into defense. Hopefully I'm interested in the parallels between the Raptors and the Blazers, because when it was Damar and Kyle and Damon CJ there was like Blazers East and Raptors West right. stuff that kept on happening. And whether or not it ends at a uh, good backcourt can't win in the playoffs. Like if, if the comparisons were that vapid or if, you know, some people were seeing deeper underlying things, I'm curious what you think about these two teams, what kind of paths they're on and what kind of paths they shared in the past. Well, I think until the 2018 playoffs, you could definitely see the comparisons I would also include coach who was very yeah. well, thought of, well, very well thought of nationally. Regular season seemed to get the most out of their team talent wise. Comes to the playoffs, not many adjustments, not many things you can point to that say this coach helped this team be prepared to go over the the ins and outs, the ups and downs of a playoff series, and in fact maybe kind of stuck to their guns and tried to do things that weren't working in a series and it was too late by the time they tried to switch them or hadn't worked on things all season and then tried to implement them in a playoff series against one of the best teams in the league and it doesn't work out. And so Blazers had a Golden State Warriors problem. You guys obviously had a LeBron problem in the playoffs. Big uh, problems. So, so in 2018, we both had a good season. Uh, Blazers were the third seed that year. Uh, Raptors, I believe, were the first seed, right? They were the, the number one seed the year before they traded for Kawhi. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you guys get swept in the second round by the by the Cavs, if I'm not mistaken. And the Blazers get swept in the first round by the stupid New Orleans Pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> and from that point on, Blazers, Dame CJ, coach thoughts. All stick together, run it back. Raptors that offseason fire their coach, even though he was the one seed. They make the coach a coach of the year, actually. Yeah, they yeah, split up. They split up their backcourt, um, Damar and Kyle. So they they from that point, I feel like it was like, yeah, Blazers, Blazers West, Raptors East, uh, same thing. And then they mirror pass from that point. And ever since then, it's like the Ujuri's on this quest to have the perfect amount of, like I said earlier, six, eight to six, nine forwards that can do multiple things on the floor. And the Blazers have this quest to have everyone under six, seven and <laughs> be guards that can score stuff like that. So this is the first summer that we've actually done things a little differently and tried to add some defensive pieces. Um, we tried things like adding Robert Covington and stuff like that in the past, but similar coaching stuff, got in the way of that and then of course last season um you know the dame injury kind of ended things before it got started but um we tried to we even made the trade for norman powell and added the third guard to dame and cj um as you know probably working that third guard with some of the teams that you've had um so yeah i think it's it's interesting that they've kind of veered in different paths and nick nurse i thought um was the perfect man for that job because he wasn't afraid to try like crazy things. And everyone gives him crap for like giving up 
how dare you play a box and one in the finals or stuff like that, you know, but you got to be creative like that. You have to mix up your defensive coverages, in my opinion. And if you keep doing the same things over and over, like Casey and Stotts were doing, uh, it just becomes so predictable and, and offenses are too good. Now they just take advantage of it. You mentioned earlier how like the Sixers just hunted uh, Gary Trent um, in that playoff series. You have to be able to adapt and, and, figure that out. You can't just be like, okay, well, we're just going to keep trying the same thing. We're going to cover them the same way. So uh, I felt like the Raptors leaned in on, we're going to fix this. And the Blazers just were like, no, it'll work eventually. Like we'll just keep (laughs) at it. Right. And what's interesting about that is both of them had their best season that next year, the Blazers make it all the way to the Western Conference Finals with the same lineup and obviously lose to the Warriors, and then you guys win the championship. Uh, but I, I'm curious, I have a question for you. If you could go back and the Kawhi Leonard trade doesn't happen, but everything else is the same. So you get a new coach, you keep DeMar, you still trade for Gasol, you still get Ibaka, um, and you get that third year jump from Siakam because that was the year he popped, right? Yeah. Do you think they possibly get over the hump still, or do you think it just, they had to move on from the backcourt? So DeMar DeRozan is my favorite player of all time. Yeah. They weren't getting over that hump. Okay. I, the, even with Siakam being, because they didn't really have that forward back, you know, even with Siakam, because Kawhi, his ability to be so basically the Raptors offense in the championship season was uh, compartmentalized. It was like Kyle Lowry getting everybody involved. And then Kawhi would come in and like he'd pick screeners and isolate. And it started to mesh a little bit. An underrated part about the finals is that Kawhi was so like run down by the time they got there because he was doing an unbelievable amount of heavy lifting prior. But the Raptors won in the finals because of just incredible team basketball. And this, but even the comeback against the Bucks after going down 2-0, really good team basketball. The 76ers series was obviously Kawhi was like 40 a game, basically, mm-hmm. which is yeah. nuts. But yeah. DeMar, I think, probably would have made it so that Kyle didn't get to play just like this all out point guard style, which affects Siakam's rise as like a tertiary scorer. And, and also like how Valanciunas plays with DeRozan. I just think there were too many things that might've hampered progress at that point. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, even though DeMar is my favorite player ever, the gap between him and Kawhi, especially like Kawhi was the best player in the NBA for not for that season because of the load management, but for those playoffs, he was the best player right. there. And DeMar, as much as I love him, God bless him, he's not getting there. Right. And you need to get there to win chips. So I wish I could say yes. And yeah. you know, maybe maybe I could even say, yeah, DeMar would do it. But yeah, I don't think it's I don't think that's the case. Yeah. That'd but, be it'd be interesting to see in like a parallel universe, like just stay in the course versus that. Cause I always wonder that because I, I think about it like Man, if they just fired Stotts after that, they they split up the backcourt and like maybe got I don't know they may, what if they get Kawhi 
something, you know, the Blazers. Um, or, or you know, not necessarily Kawhi, but or what if you add the right forward like a Siak- like if the Blazers got Siakam and had him with Damon CJ, could that team have gotten over the hump once Siakam became a good player? Be- and, and that's the funny thing about getting Jeremy Grant this offseason is Damon CJ in that stretch where um, after LaMarcus left didn't have a even a Jeremy Grant type level forward to play with so you always wonder like well if they would have had that similar philosophy to uh, to what Ujiri had if they would have just gotten the right forwards around him while keeping you know Lowry and Van Vliet and stuff like that um, like would that have made a difference or would, was it always destined like you said to be too heavily dependent on two players that weren't necessarily going to allow players to develop fully um, if they're not ever getting the ball in their hands or that opportunity. Yeah. And that's, that's not to say that DeMar is like a ball hog or anything. Right. It's just his, he's a, he's a great playmaker, but his playmaking decisions are quite rote. They're, He's creating the same advantage, and it's tough for teams to stop, but it creates the same looks for guys. It's not very adaptable, whereas Kawhi was like, hey, I'm going to get mine. You guys do whatever. And Kyle was like, I'm going to get everybody involved. Everybody gets a shot. And that's kind of how it shook out. As far as you do need a guy in the playoffs, though, that can just get buckets. Um, That's right. And and Kawhi is just unbelievable. It helps if that guy is also a all like a best defender in the league. <laughs> yeah. that, that certainly helps if that guy's your your best scorer too. That's a that's a factor. You you gave us like a range of the Blazers. Like four or five is the ceiling, ten is ten is the floor. Do you have a similar expectation for that? Well not not that it has to be four, five, and ten, but do you have a range that you expect the Raptors to fall into? Um I think it's Somewhere in that same range, only the floor, I think, is higher with the Raptors. So probably I'd say they're somewhere in the four to six, seven range. Um, Obviously, injuries could play a factor. You never know about that. I think they could surprise a lot of people. Um, Obviously, the last couple of years, they've been... Their momentum has been shifted several times due to key injuries. And it's... Uh, to me, it's frustrating because like Van Vliet last year, it wasn't that he just got hurt. It was that like for a month or so, he's in and out of the lineup. And it's you never know if he's going to be available the next game or not because it's it's constantly flaring up and stuff, the injury. And um, whereas like a normal injury, you could just be like, okay, this player is going to be out for three weeks or whatever. So as long as they don't have that kind of stuff happen, which they seem to have been getting burnt with the last couple of years. Um, I feel like they're so well-rounded, but at the same time, I think the guard depth thing is still an issue. I don't think they addressed that this season, uh, this off season. And um, Van Vliet played almost 38 minutes a game last year. And I don't, I don't understand how that can work. If he, I know Malachi Flynn is like, lighting it up in pro-ams but didn't didn't he do that last summer too pro, <laughs> don't, pro-ams don't matter i yeah. like if somebody's <laughs> listening thinks pro-ams matter i'm sorry they don't not a, yeah. none of it right so yeah. like i don't think you can realistically count on him i mean it'd be nice if you could say right now oh flynn's going to be a capable third guard in that rotation 
and I know you have guys like Barnes and and Banton who can play point guard and run an offense and stuff like that, but you still need like actual guard depth, in my opinion. And I don't see how all your forwards you got, you re-signed Thad Young, you bring in Otto Porter Jr. Uh, like, where are these guys going to play? You still have Siakam, you still have OG, you still have uh, Scotty. So that that's like you're loaded at forward, but like too much of a good thing and not enough in another area, I think, can ultimately be a, a demise of a team. And I, I think you saw it in the championship year. You had Danny Green, you had uh, Norm Powell off the bench, you had Van Vliet and Lowry. Like you had all kinds of guard depth to to supplement your good forwards and uh so it's kind of puzzling to me that they're leaning so far into this forward thing that they're letting the guard thing suffer and like you said with gary trent it might not be i mean there's still question marks on whether he's a starting shooting guard on a championship team as well so there's a really interesting i think i'm basically in the same group as you i think they need guard depth I understand why they went towards the forward thing because something I was tracking last year is the Raptors had these no guard lineups that just relied on Pascal to create as the guard. They allowed nothing at the rim because they were doing that democratic rim protection. They do. They pull from everywhere, recover to everywhere, and they don't have every, they don't have any small guards on the court. And on the other end, they rebound about 40% of their misses. Now, when I observed those lineups, I thought this, and they won minutes, a lot of them. I thought this works because it's a change of pace. Mm -hmm. I don't think this can be like, Oh yeah, we don't play guards really (laughs) off the bench that I wonder, like, can you change the pace all year? And if, and honestly, this is why the Raptors are a fun team. If they do that and they just win minutes all season, then they've hacked. Then you found like a basketball hack every Mm -hmm. once in a while teams find them. Maybe the Raptors have found one. I'm not uh, super optimistic about it. I think it's still a change of pace thing. But if that happens, then like to hell with guards, just like Mm -hmm. run everywhere and crash the glass. And like, who knows how that looks? Yeah. I always love that because like the warrior style play, you're not going to beat them at their own style. Right. So you have to do something different. And that's one of the, I mean, aside from injuries, that's one of the reasons why the Raptors were able to to win um, a championship was because they did something different. And um, so I really like that philosophy. You saw the Cavs last year when everyone was going in the direction of, oh, centers are becoming a dinosaur. And what do they do? They draft a center and play him next to another center and get a small forward who's like a power forward and yeah. play him at small forward who they now traded for Donovan Mitchell, but they, they went super big. Right. And it was, that was such a fun team to watch just because they were trying something different. So I agree with you there that it is, it is a good thing. I think to try try a different philosophy. I'm, I'm a little skeptical as to whether it can work game in game out over the yeah. course of a regular season, instead of just, like you know half the game or part of a game or every other game uh so yeah it'll be very interesting to see if they can get away with it but if the past couple years are any indication i i feel like that has hurt them at times not having that guard depth um whereas um you know even if they won those minutes they still were 
were not having consistent play from their guards enough uh, to to make it work. But I, like you said, if they win minutes all the time, it doesn't matter, right? But um, you win the minutes, you yeah. win the game a lot of the <laughs> right. time. Yeah. yeah, they're they're currently testing the upper limit of like what the hell it, does offensive rebounding as a team philosophy look like? Right. Because they they didn't have much shooting, so what they did a lot of the time was they positioned four guys under the free throw line and then just were like war hawks going at the the you know eat, trying to eat glass which mm-hmm. offensive rebounding we think about it like oh there's one guy going after it and then that's kind of how you control for it as a consistent means of offense but then you look at Delano Banton, Justin Champagny and Scotty Barnes the three draft well two draft picks and one guy who was okay. a, a signing all of those guys were above 90th percentile in offensive rebound percentage for their their positions in the league. And you're like, okay, they're finding something. We just have to figure out if it's more valuable than the status quo. And that is that is the up in the air, uh, the up in the air part as far as that goes. So I'll, do you think shooting is still going to be a problem then? Or do you think the <laughs> offensive rebounding can auto that? auto helps a lot. Mm. If auto stays healthy, like auto is a He's he's a great shooter and he's also one of the best. Yeah, he's always uh, he's always been since he's been in the league, one of the best offensive rebounders at Hmm. at his size, at his position as well. And so he he keeps his foot in both camps. I think he's a tremendous fit. They still man like they go. They're going to run into some shooting woes. You watched it. You watched the Blazers set up a zone (laughs) and the Raptors score like six points in 22 minutes. You know, Mm -hmm. it's. Yeah. Anyway, I, well, the the last thing I want to ask you is, do you have a favorite player on the Raptors? Coloco uh, excluded, since we've already discussed <laughs> them. But uh, yeah, man, I I have so much respect for so many of them. They play the game the right way. Um, I I've always been a big Pascal Siakam fan. Um, I I didn't obviously. I don't know what your thoughts are, but they draft him. Everyone is questioning the pick. You know. Um, I didn't really know much about him at the time either. Uh, that that worked out well. Um, and I, I'm a huge OG guy too, uh, despite what I said earlier about <laughs> not necessarily wanting to trade the seventh pick for him. Uh, I just wish those guys could stay healthy, man. It's, it's, it's stunting OG in particular, his growth, I feel like. But that was part of the reason why he slipped in the draft. He was coming off an ACL injury, I believe. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but that was someone Blazers had three first round picks in that draft. They ended up trading two of them to move up to get Zach Collins. But OG was someone that I was really hoping that they would come away with, with one of those three picks. Uh, and yeah, so those two guys in particular, I've really had my eye on, um, for a long time and, uh, both of them would be such great fits in Portland. So that's kind of why I like them is because I, I, I realize how much of an impact they have on games and uh how how much you need those guys to win in this league and uh just respect the way they go about doing it that's a that's that's an excellent place to kind of wrap up our conversation but we're not wrapped up until you get to plug all your stuff and tell the people (laughs) where to follow you and if they're interested to follow the blazers at all this year where should they be following well, you can follow me at Hoopshock on Twitter. And then uh, myself and my friend Tori Jones have a YouTube channel called Blazers Uprise. We do twice weekly shows um, all year round. So even in the off season. And then we uh, 
also have videos, video content, and as well as do post-game shows after every Blazer game. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, check us out on YouTube at Blazers Uprise. Um, that's pretty much it. Don't really have much else going on other than that. Yeah, well, make, hey, listener, viewer, if it's on the podcast, on YouTube, make sure you go follow this guy because you know what? He did a better job talking about Coloco than a lot of people currently on the Raptors Republic staff. So he <laughs> gave us insights that that sure we could go somewhere and get it. Sure, there's a couple of people who could do it, but he knows he probably knows more about Coloco than I do at this point. I gotta I gotta wait till the film comes on at the NBA level. But man, well, Eric, thank you so much. Yeah, I just want to say my son, uh, who's nine years old, last year just he's never really rooted for a basketball team, but all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to be a Raptors fan. And I was like, okay, he just likes <laughs> the dinosaurs, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah. um, and then uh, his name is Flynn. So uh, obviously having a player with his name on the back of his Jersey on your <laughs> team helps a little bit too. Uh, but yeah, so I might end up watching some Raptor games that I wouldn't have this year. If he shows some interest in that, um, not going to push him to being a, a fan of any particular team or anything, but I think that's cool that he just randomly picked them as their team. So I might actually have to watch a lot of games of theirs this year. <laughs> the answer to the guard depth and your son's basketball happiness. <laughs> Good Flynn minutes. Yes. Man. Eric, thanks, thanks for thanks, coming on. Thanks for having me, man. That's a lot of yeah. fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a blast. Listener, viewer, whichever it is, thanks for tuning in. Lots more of these to come, and I hope you've been enjoying them so far. Uh, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.